Welcome to Shelter Cove. Thank you so much for joining us, and we hope that you find encouragement through today's message. For more information, check us out online at sheltercovelive.com or send us a text at 209-340-3115. Hey guys, welcome. Great to have you joining us today. My name is Jeremy, one of the pastors here. And if this is your first time tuning in, special welcome to you. In fact, I'd love to hear where you're joining us from. Maybe right here in Modesto, somewhere in California, maybe another state all over the world. Put in the chat. Again, stoked to have you with us today. We are in a series titled Mind Reset, uh, rethinking different areas of our lives because I'm a firm believer that when we change the way we think, we change the way we live. So week one was all about thinking differently about following Jesus. Week two was thinking differently about prayer. Last week, we looked at thinking differently about time, how time is something that we don't have more of. We can't do something again and we want to be kingdom minded when it comes to the way we use our time and today we're talking about thinking differently about Satan and sin so if you have your Bibles meet me in first Peter chapter 5 starting in verse 8 first Peter 5 8 is where we're gonna be we're a Bible teaching Bible believing church and uh, Peter has some truths uh, for all of us today, which I believe are going to really encourage our hearts, but really challenge us uh, in our quest to be authentic followers of Jesus. First Peter chapter 5, starting verse 8, this is what Peter writes. He says, Be sober-minded and watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. We trust you. We thank you for for meeting us where we're at. And God, we pray that you would inspire us to not only know your love today, but walk in a way that reveals our love for you. So God, uh, change our hearts. God, would you change our minds? Would you give us a mind reset that's only possible with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, hey, we're jumping right in today. We've got a ton of content. We're looking at five areas where we need to rethink our thinking and change our thinking when it comes to our mindset toward sin and Satan. So the first thing that we need to be when it comes to our mind is we need to be alert. We need to be alert. In fact, this is what he says. In this first part of verse 8, he says, be sober-minded and watchful. Now, this is the third time in this letter that Peter said, be sober-minded. The first time was in chapter 1, verse 13. He says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Then we see in chapter 4, verse 7, Peter says, At the end of all things are at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Now here, when it comes to battling sin, battling Satan, the first thing that he says is, be sober-minded. Why? Because your thinking And the clarity of your mind is so important in our battle against Satan and sin. To be sober-minded means to be self-controlled. 
It means to be alert. It means to be aware. It means to be disciplined in our thinking. I mean, the opposite of sober-minded is somebody that's under the influence of somebody or something, under the influence of maybe alcohol. Uh, I think about somebody that's drunk. This is somebody that falls into temptation easily. They're not aware of what's going uh, on around them. They're somebody that's easily uh, drawn to do things that they normally shouldn't do. They often do things that they would regret. And, and so Peter here is talking about somebody that has a clear head, clear mind. You're, you're sober-minded, but not only that, he says, and be watchful. You're, you're ready. What are you ready for? You're ready for the attacks of the enemy. You're ready for the attacks of Satan. You know, when I was playing baseball growing up, we always had to, to be ready in the infield or outfield because the ball could always potentially be hit to us at any time. So our coaches taught us to, to get in the ready position. We'd have our glove on our left hand like this. That way, if there was a ground ball, we were ready to go down like this. If there was a fly ball, we could put our glove up like that. But the whole reality was to be ready for any moment the ball be, could be hit to you. And the same is for us. We need to be ready. We need to be watchful because at any moment, our enemy, Satan, could attack us. And the challenge for a lot of us is, is we don't focus on that. We don't focus on being watchful. We don't focus on being ready. We focus on minimizing our own sins and maximizing the sins of others. And we do this in so many different ways. We, we think our sin's not that big of a deal. We have this mindset that it's not as bad as everybody else. Uh, we make excuses for our sin. We blame our sin. We have this mindset that, that's totally unbiblical. And if that's not enough, we will maximize the sin of other people. Uh, people that sin differently than us. Uh, we will often maximize and minimize our own sin. In, in fact, I think about our kids often when our kids will come up to us and they're super frustrated and, you know, my kids will be maybe arguing or something and one of my kids will come up to me and say, hey, dad, I'm, I'm so frustrated. You're not going to believe what happened. My, my, my brother just, just pushed me and, and he shouldn't have done that. He needs to be in trouble. And the first question I'll ask is, well, what did you do? And, and, and there's not the animation. It's like, well, I, I threw a cupcake. Is that all you did? Well, well, I threw a cupcake at his face. Is that all you did? Well, I, I kind of threw a cupcake at his face, and then I got another one, and I smashed it in his face. Here's the reality. We tend to minimize our own sin and maximize the sin in the lives of other people. That's why Jesus said, get rid of the log in your own eye and quit Focusing on the speck of sawdust in somebody else's. Why we need to be focused on our own sin, our own weaknesses, and we need to be alert and ready and watchful because the enemy is coming after us. He wants us to sin. Not only do we need to be alert, point one. Second of all, in your notes, you need to be aware. Be aware. And this is what it says. It says, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Our enemy is the devil. Now, let's just be clear here just for a moment. Your enemy is not your spouse. Your enemy is not your child. Your enemy is not your parent. Your enemy is not your mother-in-law. Your enemy is not your annoying neighbor, not the annoying coworker. Your enemy is Satan. My enemy is Satan. And Satan is so good at allowing us to focus on each other where we are drained uh, emotionally, relationally, spiritually, and we lose focus 
on who our enemy ultimately is. Peter says, your adversary or your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. I, I think about roaring lions. They're the, the king of the jungle. They're, they're sly. They're uh, able to manipulate. They are hungry. They are looking to devour us. And, and what does Satan do? How does he tempt us? Through lies. He will tell us that there's something that we don't have that we need. That's what he did in the garden. He lied. He gave a partial uh, lie uh, to uh, Eve, which is a full lie. Any half-truth is a full lie. And, and that's what he does. He is the father of lies. That's how he tempts us. And he does that in so many different ways because he's the deceiver. You know, there's this lizard in the desert that whenever there's uh, another um, animal or whatnot that comes up to it, it does one of two things. One thing it does is it makes itself a lot bigger than it really is. And it does that to intimidate other animals. But other times, it will flip over on its back, make itself as small as possible, and appear to be dead. And its strategy is deception. And for a lot of us, we're deceived because the enemy appears to be bigger than he really is. Or he's, he's not really there and he's dead. What the enemy does for us is he is constantly deceiving us. And he tempts us in one of three ways. What he does is he ever either appeals to the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now, how do we know that? We know that from Scripture. Satan's not that clever, but what he is is very effective. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, it says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The, the lust of the flesh, what is that? That's our wants, our cravings, what, what feels good to us. The lust of the eyes, what is that? What, what appeals good to our senses, what looks good, and the pride of life. It's all about self, it's self-display, self-glory. It's all about our ego, and that's what Satan does. He comes after us with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's exactly how he tempted Eve. There was this tree in the garden, and it, it appeared to, to satisfy this desire for food. It was the lust of the flesh. It looked good, lust of the eyes, and it, it would give her more knowledge, which was the pride of life. This is the same way that the enemy, the devil, came after Jesus. After Jesus was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights in the desert, what does Satan do? He tempts him. He tempts him with the lust of the flesh. Hey, turn, turn these uh, rocks into bread and you're going to be satisfied. He tempts him with uh, the, the lust of the eyes, shows him the kingdom and, and says, hey, throw yourself down and the angels will uh, catch you and talks about the pride of life. These same three ways that Satan tempted Eve, tempted Jesus is the same ways that he tempts us today. It doesn't matter if you're three years old, 60 years old, 80 years old. He keeps going after us in these three ways. Why? It's effective. It works. If I could illustrate it in a simple way, it's kind of like 
It's his bait. Satan's always going fishing. And he's going fishing after us. And there's three forms of bait that he uses. Sometimes it's the lust of the flesh. Sometimes it's the lust of the eyes. Sometimes it's the pride of life. When he's fishing after us for the pride of life, what does he do? He puts anything on this hook that would appeal to us. Our pride, our ego, our worth. When it comes to the lust of the flesh, it's, man, something that would satisfy us, right? It could be food. And he knows exactly what to put out there. And he'll put something attractive right in front of us and say, hey, this will feel good. Just, just be a part of this. This will satisfy you temporarily. And when we give in to the lust of the flesh, again, we live in regret. It could be the lust of the eyes. And he knows exactly what our weakness is. For a lot of us, it's the temptation of lust. And he knows exactly what our struggle is, and he'll put that out there in front of us. But the reality is, is that Satan tempts us through, through lies. He is the great deceiver, and he does that in three different ways. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And we need to be aware of how he works. The first thing we need to be is be alert. Number two, we need to be aware. Number three is, is we need to be serious. The scripture says through Peter, seeking someone to devour. And Satan will devour us and seek to devour us in a couple of different ways. Number one, his greatest goal for your life is that you would reject Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. And that you would spend eternity in hell, a place prepared by God for Satan and his demons. That's his greatest goal, is that you would not take God seriously, that you would not surrender your life to Jesus Christ, that you would be a friend of Satan, that you would love sin, and that you would spend your life in eternal separation from God in a place called hell. Now, if you can't do that and you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you've trusted him as your Lord and Savior, what Satan wants you to do is he wants you to be consumed with yourself. He wants you to be consumed with sin in a way that, that ultimately makes you ineffective for the kingdom. Where you're very complacent in your faith, you don't really care about your faith, you're comfortable in your faith, you're just going through the motions, but you're not serving, you're not generous, you're not sharing your faith, you're not really trying to advance the kingdom, thus you're not really a threat to Satan. And so he wants to do one of those two things, but the reality is, is he wants to destroy us. You know, uh, the Titanic, when it was built several years ago, uh, it ended up sinking. You know the story of what happened. But the reason why it sank wasn't because of this massive thing that happened all at one time. It was because of all of these little compromises. See, the builders of the Titanic couldn't produce the uh, rivets fast enough, so they started developing these second-grade rivets that, that ultimately didn't hold the ship together, which led to it sinking. And that's the same for us. What the enemy wants us to do is participate in, in one compromise after another compromise after another compromise where we just get led astray farther and farther away from Jesus. And when he has us in that bait, what happens when we try to let go, we're hooked. 
Like, he is so crafty. He's so creative. He'll lie and tell us it's not that big of a deal. Just do a little bit more. Uh, it's not as bad as everybody else. And then once we try to go back, we're, we're hooked. Why? Because he's so deceptive. Now, all of these little baby steps, let me just illustrate what this looks like when, when somebody finds themselves maybe in an affair or committing adultery, because it just doesn't start there. There's all of these little steps of compromise. Um, this happens um, online, but it also happens in person. Let's look at what happens in person. Somebody that's married ends up seeing somebody that uh, they're not married to, and they're like, oh, that person's attractive. And instead of dealing with that thought in their mind, they, they, they start thinking about that. Why? Because sin often thought starts in the mind. And then they go up and maybe they say hi and maybe it's a, somebody that you work with, somebody at your gym, some, maybe a neighbor, somebody that you see on maybe somewhat of a regular basis or maybe for the first time. You say hi and it, it kind of maybe makes you feel a certain way. You see them again and you start engaging in conversation just to get to know them a little bit more. Uh, pretty soon you start talking to this person so much where you look forward to seeing this person on a regular basis. Then you start by changing phone numbers and exchanging phone numbers. Then you find yourself texting this person, calling this person on a regular basis to the point where you want to meet up with this person and pretty soon you find yourselves in a place doing things that you never imagined. Why? Because it wasn't one big step. It was compromise after compromise after compromise after compromise. And we see this happen uh, physically with people, but we also see it happen online. We see people, you know, that are on social media, um, and you find somebody on social media that maybe you've reached out to send a friend request to somebody you used to date. By the way, don't ever friend request somebody that used to be a former boyfriend or girlfriend. That's the 11th commandment in the scriptures that I just made up. All right, just don't do it. But when you see somebody on social media that maybe used to be a former boyfriend or girlfriend or somebody that you like who's not your spouse and you find yourself looking at their pictures and then you actually are stupid enough to like one of their pictures and then maybe you reach out and send a private message or they reach out to you and then you're chatting on a regular basis and you find out that maybe they were close to you or whatever and you find yourself in a place you never imagined again because compromise after compromise, after compromise, after compromise, because every step of the way, you've bought into the lie that it's not that big of a deal. And yet, no, the mindset of Satan is that he wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy me. So we have to be serious about how we treat Satan, how we treat sin. First of all, be alert. Second of all, be aware of his schemes. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Thirdly, we have to be serious about Satan because he wants to destroy us. Fourthly, we need to be proactive. Proactive. You don't deal with temptation when you're in it. You deal with temptation before you're in it. And this is what Peter says. Peter says, resist him firm in your faith. Resist him firm in the faith. You know, when, when a lion's coming after you, what do you do? You don't run. You stay there firm in your faith. Why? Because greater is he who is in you than he who's in the world. What do we do? We put on the full armor of God that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 6. We are people that resist him firm in our faith. That's what we do. Now, what, what's a huge part of this? 
A huge part of resisting the enemy is not only relying on the power of the Holy Spirit, not only understanding who our enemy is, but it's being humble. It's being honest about our our weakness. In fact, a, a couple verses earlier, check out what Peter says. Peter says in verse 6, he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And then he goes into the passage we're looking at. He says, humble yourself before the Lord. Don't fall into the trap of pride. You know, I've heard people say that Christianity is just a a crutch for the weak. Well, if Christianity is is a crutch for the weak, give me not one crutch but two. No, no, give me a wheelchair. No, give me a hospital bed that I can lay down in because I'm that weak and I'm in that desperate need of Jesus Christ. What would it look like for you in your life right now to be so proactive that you're honest about yourself and you're honest about your weakness? Where are you prone to sin? You know, one of my favorite foods that I like snacking on at night is chicken in a biscuit. Right, write your favorite chat uh, in the chat. Write your favorite food uh, that you really like. Chicken and biscuit at night when I'm watching Sports Center, I'm watching maybe a show. This is my go-to. The other night I was out of these and Kelly said, Hey Jeremy, you want me to get you some more chicken and a biscuit? And, and I thought about it, and my initial thought was, no, I don't. Because if you bring them home, I will eat them. Why? Because for me, it's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. I will look at these and say, oh, that'll satisfy my stomach because I'll be hungry late at night. Not only that, man, those look good. But thirdly, I'll buy in the trap and the lie that just says, man, I deserve those. I don't just deserve one handful. I deserve the entire box. And after eating them, I'm disgusted with myself. And I found myself doing something I didn't want to do. Why? Because I wasn't proactive. Chicken in a biscuit. So here's my question for you. What's your chicken in a biscuit? What's your thing in life where you just need to tell somebody, I I can't have that in my house. Because I want to be proactive about temptation. I want to make sure I'm setting up walls and and boundaries and being honest about my weakness. Now that could be so many different things. For for some of us, it could be food. We don't talk about this probably enough, but for so many of us, instead of turning to Jesus, we turn to food. And and we find ourselves eating for for comfort instead of getting our, our comfort from Jesus Christ. So what would it look like for you to say, you know what, I'm going to go through my pantry and I'm going to change what's in there because I don't want to rely and fall into the lust of the flesh. Or, or for others of us, maybe our weakness is, is shopping. And we need to just not have access to credit cards for a while because we find ourselves getting stuff that we just don't need and wasting money. Um, for others of us, I mean, it could be so many things. It could be pornography. I've been very honest over the years here with, with our church that for myself personally, my, my computer uh, at work has Covenant Eyes, which is accountability software. My phone has uh, Covenant Eyes, which is accountability software. At our home, we have it um, because I don't want to deal with that temptation. All of our pastors here have it on their computer. My son has it on, their, on his 
phone. Why? Again, trying to be proactive, not just for myself, but the people that I love and being honest about areas of potential weakness. What would that look like for you? To be honest about those areas of potential weakness and building some walls that will protect you from not even being tempted in those areas. You know, Jesus said, if your right hand causes you to, to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. What is he saying? He's saying, take seriously sin and, and do whatever it takes. You know what insanity is? A definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. What would it look like for you to be proactive? Have this mind reset and say, I'm going to do things different because I want to live different. See, for us to, to have this mind reset and think differently, the first thing that we need to be is we need to be alert. Second of all, we need to be aware. Thirdly, we need to be serious. Fourthly, we need to be proactive. But lastly, don't miss this. We need to be encouraged. We need to be encouraged because in this battle against Satan, against sin, we're not alone. You're, you're not alone. I'm not alone. We are not alone in this struggle. In fact, this is what Peter says. Peter says, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. You know, one of the biggest fears that we have is that we're all alone. We, we fear that nobody else is struggling with, with the eating habits that we're struggling with, the gossip that we're struggling with, the addiction that we're struggling with, the porn issue that we're struggling with. And the reality is, is that we are not alone. In fact, I love what it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, but God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. I, I love that. God always gives us a way of escape, but he wants us to know that we are not alone. Because the lie that the enemy will tell you is you're alone. You're the only one that does this. You're the only one involved in this. Nobody else is like you. You sicko. You weirdo. You, ad you addicted pervert. Whatever it is, he will tell us every kind of lie to make us think that we're alone. And yet in the struggle against Satan and sin, today, in your mind, I want you to be encouraged because you are not alone. Friends, every saint has a past. Every sinner has a future. And regardless of how you've thought of Satan and how you've thought of sin in the past, today my prayer for you is that you would have this radical mind reset where you think differently. We're, we're moving forward today, forgetting the past, what's happened before, focusing on the future. Today, when it comes to Satan and sin, you're going to be, a, you're going to be alert. You're going to be watching and not paying attention so much to the sins of other people, but, but you're aware of the way that Satan wants to come after you. You are alert. You're serious about Satan. You are proactive. But you're also encouraged. So today I want to encourage you. What's that, what's that proactive step? 
that you need to take? What, what, what has access into your home that maybe needs to be eliminated? Maybe you go out and get covenant eyes for your phone. Maybe you fill in the blank. Whatever it is, tear up some credit cards. We're, we're talking about radical steps here so that we can walk in obedience because that's the end goal. The end goal is obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey what I command. What would it look like for you to have an attitude that says, hey, I'm willing to do whatever it takes because I just want to take a radical step of obedience. You know, as we close this message, I just want to encourage you. And maybe you've never heard this before, but maybe you need to hear it again, that, that God loves you. God loves you so much, and regardless of your sin, and regardless of, of all the mistakes and the failures you, you've had in the past, God loves you so much that He sent Jesus Christ to do the one thing that you can't do and I can't do, and that's deal with the sin issue in our lives. The Bible says that sin separates us from God, that the, the wages of sin, what we earn for sin is death. It's eternal separation from God in a place called hell. But, but Jesus came to this earth, lived a perfect life, a sinless life. He went to the cross in our place. He took our sin upon himself. He gave us his righteousness so that we could be right with God and we could have eternal life with Jesus forever in heaven. The one thing we need to do is believe. We need to believe that, that Jesus Christ is the way to God. Believe that he is the truth. Believe that salvation is found in no other place and no other name. And when we do that, we, we turn from our sin and we turn to Jesus and we receive his forgiveness and we receive his grace and we have this brand new life. And I say that because if you've never received the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, boy, that's my greatest prayer for you today. And I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much for, for my friend that's watching right now. And God, as, as we have this new mindset about Satan and about sin, God, we also want to have a mindset that, that Jesus is greater than everything. And so if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you can, you can do that just through your heart. There's not a special prayer. There's not special words. It's just a, a person that authentically says, Jesus, I open my heart wide and I want you to come in and I want you to rule and I want you to reign and I thank you for saving me from my sin. I thank you for making me new. I thank you for allowing the rest of my life to be the best of my life. And today, in the best way I know how, I give you total control. God, I thank you so much for our brothers and sisters today and God, for those that made decisions, we love you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, in just a moment, we're going to have a, a time of worship. But if you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, would you just text us at this number and just say, today I said yes to Jesus. Again, this number right here on the screen and just text, I said yes to Jesus. We'd love to follow up with you on some next steps with your journey with Jesus. Let's continue to worship together.